go to Revelation 4. I'm going to split my sermon into three parts, and the last part uh, will uh, be a little longer uh, than the first two. So what is worship? This is what we're doing now. This is what we do every week. Our lives, probably in your calendar, is around worship. It should be. Worship is what anchors us in our calendar, in our life, to something much bigger than we are. And it also prepares us. Psalm 29 and 96 would say that worship is ascribing or attaching to God the glory that's due his name. Revelation 4 shows that those around the throne of God fall down and worship. So we're going to read Revelation 4 in this first uh, session. All the scripture that is not in Revelation 4 and 5 will be on the screen, so you can just put a bookmark in the service uh, for Revelation uh, 4 and 5, and we're going to look at the worship of God because he is creator. Revelation 4, this passage comes likely in our future that is right before God's judgment is poured out in Revelation 6 to 19. So a lot of Revelation is God's judgment on the earth, but before he judges, we get a glimpse into heaven, and the glimpses into heaven in scripture are rare. We don't get a lot of information about heaven, but Revelation 4 and 5 is a high concentration of what heaven is going to be like. And you and I are mentioned here. It's going to be amazing. So Revelation 4 says, after this, that's the letters to the seven churches. After this, I looked, and John is, behold, is seeing a door standing open in heaven. And a first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, saying, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. He who sat on uh, there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed with white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature is like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory 
and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The closer we get to God, the closer we see people to the very center of the universe, the throne of God, what do we see happening there? Perfect, pure, unceasing worship. Worship is more and more satisfying the closer we get to God. Author and Christian counselor Jim Berg summarizes the perfect Christian life as God's intent for creating us means he made us to be submissive and satisfied image bearers. If you ask these people in Revelation 4, are you submissive and satisfied with being this close to God, they'd say, this is perfect. It doesn't get better than this. Worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end. It's the end of all things. It's the highest, greatest good. When we get a glimpse into our future, this is what we see. We'll see ourselves in Revelation 5. So we worship. Why are the people here worshiping? Why are the angels worshiping? Because God is, well, you see, see it there in verse 11. He is holy, or in verse uh, 8, he is holy, he is almighty, he is the Lord, and he is eternal. And then in verse 11, he is the creator. He has created all things. So what is worship? If we were going to define worship in Revelation 4 terms, in verse 9, it says the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks. Giving God glory and honor and thanks. And we gather as God's people every week and we worship. And we think, I hope, well, we think a lot of things as we come to worship. But what we should be thinking is, I'm going to give God glory and honor and thanks. We train our kids to come to worship and tell them, you know what we're going to do, uh, son or daughter? We're going to give God glory and honor and thanks. And they may question, so why, why is worship all about God? Because he is the Almighty. He is the Lord. He is the, in Revelation 4.11, he created you. We worship God because he is the creator. In Psalm 16:11, God has designed life to be centered around him. I have, uns have unsaved friends, scoffers, that said to me, God is pretty selfish to design creation around himself. Well, that's one way of looking at it, but you don't know how satisfying worshiping God is. Because Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. 
in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you could pick the one spot in the universe to spend eternity, it would be before the throne. That's where you and I would pick. Why? Because he's the creator. And because we know the truth of Psalm 1611, we worship the creator because he made life this way. This verse refers to Christ in Acts 2, as Paul or Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You know what means? Outside of God's presence, there's not fullness of joy. It doesn't get any more joyful than in God's presence. Oh, people have tried. People have added all kinds of things to life thinking, this is going to bring me fullness of joy. And you know what they find out? Nope, it doesn't do it. But if you and I will come before the throne of grace, as Hebrews 4 reminded us, and we have the rest that we have in our Savior, in our salvation, and we're getting mercy and grace from God, and we're gathered now as his people to worship him, you will find this is a little taste of heaven. And this worship is what God created us for. Uh, um, Isaiah 43, verse 7, as God is comforting the Israelites as they have been disobedient, they're in going into captivity, but the last half of the book of Isaiah 40 and, um, and following, chapter 40 and following, in the middle of this is Isaiah 43, verse 7, talking to Israel. Everyone who is called by my name, God's talking about Israel, he's going to bring them out of captivity, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. God created Israel for his glory. He formed them. He made them. He called them by his name. Later in that same chapter, Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. God chose Israel and wants them, forms them as a people for this one purpose, that they might declare his praise. We'll see in uh, 1 Peter 2 in the New Testament that Christ has redeemed us for the same purpose. It's designed, worship is designed by God to be the most uh, fulfilling, joyful thing that we could do on earth. And it's clearly in Revelation 4 what we're going to be doing forever. Giving God glory and honor and thanks because he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because he created all things and by God's will they existed and were created. When Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, She's wondering about the place of worship, and Jesus focuses her attention not on the place of worship, Samaria or Jerusalem, but he says the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God created in us a new heart 
And that new heart is a heart that does not want to blaspheme him, take his name in vain, disobey him in any way. The new heart that God places in us when he creates in us a new heart is a heart that wants to worship him. And God right now and 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on earth, he is still and was and still is seeking people to worship him. I'm going to pray. After I pray, the choir will come and, and sing for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we are in awe of what we see in Revelation 4 and what we see about your uh, creation. And we give you honor and glory and power and thanks because you have created us. We only exist here because you decided that we should exist. And thank you for seeking us so that we could worship you. Help our worship today to be pleasing to you, our creator. In Jesus' name we pray. Saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll? And break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. Verse 6, and before, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. The second aspect of our worship focuses on we worship our God because he is our Redeemer. His redemption here is mentioned in verse 5. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And notice the little phrase, he has conquered. What has Christ conquered? Well, in a verse later, it says he is a lamb who has been as he has been slain. So he conquered, and we'll see later, his blood. 
What did he conquer? Well, we're about to get into Romans where Christ conquered our sin and our death. See, the wages of sin is death. And what we earn because we're sinners is death. So our greatest enemies are, is our sin, and the consequences of our sin are death. Christ conquered both. Where did he conquer our sin? When he shed his blood on the cross. How do we know he conquered our sin? Because he cried out, paid in full. It is finished. He paid for all of the sins of the whole world on the cross. He conquered sin. Sin did not conquer Jesus. He conquered sin. Hebrews is going to tell us as we study Hebrews, that's why Jesus is better. And he conquered death. Where did he conquer death? The empty tomb. The tomb is still empty. It was empty three days after they put his body there. Death could not keep him. The grave could not keep him. The sting of death is gone. 1 Corinthians 15 says, There is no more sting in death. Death has been destroyed. Christ has conquered our sin and our death. Therefore, he is able, in his holiness and his position, to take this scroll and about ready to pour out the judgment of God on the earth. And if we read Revelation 6 to 19, you could imagine, like if you were in Egypt during the plagues, and even worse than that, if you read Revelation 6 and 19, you think, man, I cannot imagine what it's going to be like on the earth. It's going to be awful. The worst that a movie can show you, it's going to be worse than that. It's going to be horrendous. All the fresh water turning to blood, hailstones that are 100 pounds, a third of the earth dying, and then at the Battle of Armageddon, all of the opponents of Jesus, billions of people dead at once. It's meant to strike fear into the heart of the unbelievers, but it's also to magnify. This book magnifies our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in magnifying him, what we have before the judgments are poured out is showing us how he is worthy of our worship. Christ has conquered our sin and our death. And then verse 9. The prayers of the saints are, or verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, intercession from us to heaven. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you, to, they're singing this to Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals. 
for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. How many people did he ransom? Some from every tribe and language and people and nation. God shows no partiality to who he redeems. God's salvation is for all. God has ransomed us from God, as we saw in Romans 5, from the wrath of God, and ransomed us to God. He ransomed us people for God, it says here. How did he ransom us? By his blood. When was his blood spilled? When he was slain at the cross and the moments before. He ransoms us. He bought us. We belong to God. He is worthy of our worship because of the tremendous price that he paid for us. We belong to him because he created us. He created all things. We recognize that. We worship him because he's creator, but we also worship him because he is our redeemer. He didn't just ransom us. Verse 10 continues this new song, and they say, uh, singing around the throne to the Messiah, to Jesus, you have made them a kingdom, that's us, a kingdom and priests to our God. God has made us a kingdom. We feel like the world and all saints who have lived in before and after Christ on the earth, like we don't really belong here. This isn't our kingdom. We're living for a heavenly kingdom. And one day that heavenly kingdom, which is by faith, we know it's coming. One day it will be sight. It says a kingdom and priests. God rescued Israel in the Old Testament and wanted them to be a kingdom of priests so that the world would come and worship God through Israel and through Jerusalem and the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And it didn't work out because Israel was disobedient and the temple was destroyed. And Christ comes and he says that we are the temple. Our bodies are the temple of the living God. We worship. We don't need a mediator because we have one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who is being sung to here in our passage. And our Savior made us a kingdom and made us in that kingdom priests to our God. Mediating <coughs> directly to our God through our Savior. You don't need an earthly mediator. We don't need earthly priests. God makes us priests to our God. And not just priests, priests that reign on the earth. They shall reign on the earth. Talking future, probably looking past the, um, past the tribulation to the millennium and into the future, eternal reign of our God. Christ has made us priests. Christ has made us a kingdom. This is part of our being ransomed. And Christ has conquered our sin and death. That's why he's worthy. That's why every four weeks here at Grace, we remember what Christ has done. 
His blood is extremely important to us. Why? Because that's how he ransomed us. And we could never forget that. So as his people, it provokes us to worship. We remember Christ's broken body and his shed blood. We're going to sing two more songs and then we'll observe communion. Verse 10 said, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying. I'm going to pause there. You realize what he just said there? Every single creature. Old Testament tells us, that the animals are part of this. Every single creature is saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell, fell down and worshiped. Worship forever. It said at the end of verse 10 that we are priests to our God and will reign on the earth. You know what the priests did in the Old Testament? They provoked people to worship. You know what we're going to be doing forever? It's like kids on vacation in the middle of an amusement park. What are we going to do today? Let's go on this ride, that ride. Let's eat this food. Way, way better than any amusement park. We're going to, I don't know if you want to wake up. Every day, we're going to say to each other, hey, what should we do today? Here's what we should do. Let's go worship the lamb. And all of us will say, yes, let's go. It'll be the most exciting thing ever. And every day we're going to do that. And it's going to be perfect. You say, I'm going to get tired of it. Oh, no, you don't know. Psalm 1611, you better memorize it. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. If you could pick anywhere in the world to vacation forever, it's nothing compared to what we just read. This is what God created us for. This is what he redeemed us for. This is the most satisfying thing that you and I will ever, ever enjoy and it will never get old we are going to daily say let's go worship the lamb who is slain
he still has his scars as a reminder to us of the tremendous price of our salvation. We will worship, we will reign, we will provoke people as rulers to worship the Lamb and the Father forever. And then, forever, we will serve as worshipers. See, when we gather as God's people every Sunday morning, just a little taste. If you're here and you don't know that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, worship is boring to you. You fall asleep. You think about everything else. You just come here out of duty at best. But when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the love that you and I should have for God just wells up inside of our hearts every single Sunday. We adore our Savior. We can't magnify Him enough. We run out of words. I can't keep tears in my eyes. You guys see it every week. You're like, he's going to cry again. Yep. One day we won't be weak in our worship. I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing my Savior's praise this morning with you. But one day in verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in that is likely billions if not trillions of voices. You can imagine standing up while everybody is worshiping and in every single direction, all you see is people. Every uh, 360. And they're all there worshiping the Lamb with you. That's what heaven's like. And the things of this earth do grow strangely dim, don't they? See, we worship things that we drive or things that we live in or things that we can put in our pocket, on our fingers, things we can put on our bodies. You're like, whoa, none of that is is close to this. This blows it away. So why do we have a hard time on Monday Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sitting down, undistracted, and opening up this book. Why do we have a hard time doing it? We likely forget what we were created for, what we were redeemed for, and what we're going to be doing forever, and it's going to be perfect. The closer we get to God, the more satisfying our worship and our life. God has designed our life on earth and all eternity around the most satisfying thing, worship of him. So, do we struggle to get out of bed on Sunday? Do we have arguments in the car on the way here? Do we grumble? They're not singing my songs. 
he preaches too long? You never say he preaches too short. He preaches too long? Why do we struggle to give God the glory due His name in our singing, our offerings, our attention to His Word, and our fellowship? See, the best part of life is when we gather with His people and give Him glory and honor and thanks for Him for being our Creator and our Redeemer. There is nothing better on earth than a worship service. The only thing better then weekly worship will be when we join our voices in Revelation 5 with all creation to say he is worthy. So practice your worship privately this week. As the Lord gives you opportunity, practice your worship publicly. Around the unsaved, you're giving God glory and honor and thanks, and we call this evangelism. Around believers... We call this edification or fellowship, and we remind ourselves as believers, this is what we're going to be doing forever. We say it with a twinkle in our eye. Life and eternity are all about him, and it will be perfect forever. Brandon? Brandon?